So we've been doing, a, uh, we've started a kingdom living series where we're actually going through the Sermon on the Mount and we've kind of been camping out in the Beatitudes, the first uh, 12 verses of that passage in Matthew 5 through 7. And so the reason we're camping out here is that the, the Beatitudes really lay a very pivotal foundation for the rest of the sermon as it begins to unfold. And so it's really important that we get our heads around what's going on there. So I'm just going to do a really quick review since I know we got a bunch of people here. And as, as Paul put it uh, in Philippians, he says, it's no trouble for me to write about this again. Uh, you know, so it's, it's no trouble for us to review these things and just get it ingrained into our hearts what Jesus is laying out here. So uh, basically, we started at the end of this talk, the end of the sermon. We began at this part where Jesus says, build your house on a rock. Don't build it on, on sand. And we talked about this idea of radical obedience, that God is calling us to not just listen to this sermon, but to actually apply it to our life. And so radical obedience is a, is a key element of what he wants us to understand. Uh, the pinnacle verse in uh, Matthew 5:48 tells us, here's the standard we're shooting for. He says, I want you to be holy the way that I'm holy. No problem, right? Everybody here can measure up to that standard pretty easily. But the, the, but the beautiful thing is that Jesus says, I want you to operate in all the light that I have given you. So the amazing thing is that we can be perfect even as a new believer in Christ. We can operate in the realm of as much light as we've been given, we can attain that. And then as he gives us more, he says, I want you to step up further. I want you to be perfect in as much light as I have given to you. So it's just, it's a really a cool thought. The idea of a vibrant heart as we talk about the idea that blessed is the man, and he goes through these eight different beatitudes, he says, blessed is the man. When God says blessed, he's talking about you're blessed because of a vibrant heart. It's a heart that gets engaged with Jesus, that loves him, that is, is passionate about him. And so he's saying, I want to awaken this. I want to stimulate this. So we'll begin to unpack this even more. And then poverty of spirit. This is the blessed are those who uh, are poor in spirit. This is kind of the foundational beatitude. All the others kind of build on this one. And if we can understand what it means to have uh, a poverty of spirit, then the other ones begin to make a whole lot more sense. And we begin to see more of a connection to those. So we're going to begin to understand that. So I've been doing this with you guys the past couple of weeks where we've been standing and reading this beatitude in different translations. This morning, we're going to stand and read in the New Living Translation. So I invite you to stand with me. We're going to dive right into the actual beatitude itself. And I'm going to do a little different. I want you guys to read the uh, yellow part. I'm going to read the white. So it's going to be kind of an answer-response thing. So God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. And then let's read this. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. God blesses those who, whoop, who work for peace. That's it. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. And then let's read this next part together. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You can sit down. 
Can't wait for that talk, huh? <laughs> right? Persecution. Awesome. Okay, so again, I just, I'm going to fly over some stuff real quickly on what we've covered just to catch you guys up. But we've been talking about this idea of two truths. There is our legal position in Jesus, and there is our living condition. And so if you can throw that graphic up for us. Legal position, our living conditions. Our legal position is what God says is true about us that we are seated with him in the heavenlies, that we are ambassadors, that we are clothed in righteousness, that he has imparted to us an inheritance that will be ours forever. All the wealth of heaven is ours. So that's a legal position. That is what is true about us as believers. However, our living condition is what our human experience is right now. It's what we are going through on this planet. And it doesn't always measure up to our legal, uh, legal position. And so the gap between... Is, is what we call a spiritual lack. And this, this is where Jesus begins to highlight this idea of poverty of spirit. It's not poverty in terms of a wealth or not having wealth, but it's a recognition that I have so much wealth in Christ, but I don't measure up to it here. And I feel this, I see this lack that I have. He goes on in the next Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn okay, for they'll be comforted. And so out of the spiritual lack, we, we get this mourning that happens. We see our deprivation, what is not true in our life, and it causes an emotional response. So really, poverty of spirit is when we see it, the mourning is what we feel about that, okay? And so that is what our, our current circumstance is. So uh, there's kind of a pain and uh, joy tension that goes with that. It's kind of like the pain part is, man, I see, I see my, my lack, but yet there's a joy in knowing what is true about me. And so you kind of have this tension of these two things playing against each other. And, and it's okay to have that tension because that's what motivates, motivates us on. But the idea of a cultivating a vibrant heart, this is how this all begins to work together. And again, I, I just told you guys I'm a visual learner, so I just kind of mapped out this thing to help my pea brain figure it out. So I hope it helps you out. But how do you cultivate a vibrant heart? How can we, how can we be blessed in, in what Jesus is talking about? Well, it starts, there you go. It starts Matthew 7, 24. This is where Jesus says, he who hears my words and obeys is like the person who builds their house on a rock, right? So we read God's word and the Holy Spirit does his thing, man. He convicts us. And we begin to see Next, our spiritual lack. We have this poverty of spirit where we see, holy cow, this is what Jesus is saying is true, but I'm not feeling that, okay? And then that causes the, the reaction of mourning where we, we feel that, we feel that, and we're saying, oh my gosh, I, I want it. And it's, it. Paul calls it godly sorrow in, in 2 Corinthians. He said, godly sorrow produces something in us. And the next thing it produces is, he says, is repentance, so as we're confronted with our lack, we're confronted with the, the grievous fact that, Jesus, I don't measure up to what your perfection is. I want to attain to that. It causes us to repent in those areas that the Spirit points out, okay? And then not only that, but Paul says it causes this breakthrough. He says uh, godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation, which for a new believer, that, I mean, a, a person who's becoming a Christian, that is true. That's the process. But I think that salvation for us who are believers is actually a breakthrough. Yeah, that's good. 
There's a place where we come to where we see and, a, and, and, and God says, you're obeying, that's awesome. And I, we get this breakthrough and then it causes, it fuels our vibrant heart. And we begin to see this cycle of just growth. And this is a growth cycle that we go through that Jesus is talking about. So I want to dive into this again. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is, again, the third beatitude that begins to roll out here, not just poor in spirit, not just mourning, but now a meekness. And uh, meekness is actually related to the poverty of spirit. We talked about this last week because poverty of spirit is um, an awareness of our lack before God, right? That's poverty of spirit. But meekness is an awareness of our lack before people. Because, see, we're really good at comparing ourselves to other people. And, and we feel that and we sense, man, I just, I don't measure up. Or, or we, we get this idea that, uh, you know, I don't need people, right? So I said meekness is not weakness. Is that, oh, it is showing fully up there. Love that picture, by the way. That's pretty awesome. Um, it's not weakness because, see, we think of meekness oftentimes as just sort of this timid spirit. But that is not what meekness is at all. Meekness goes on to say it recognizes that we're not self-made. And I showed you guys this, this statue last week of the guy attempting to carve himself out of stone. A lot of times that's our mentality as people is that we are self-made individuals. You know, I can, I can do this. We're rugged individualists. And, and yet God says, no, that's not meekness. Meekness acknowledges that I need other people. I need wisdom from other people. I need a humble and a teachable spirit. And meekness also is an attitude of gratitude. And we talked about this. That, that, you know, meekness recognizes that God owns it all. He owns it all. Everything that I have is a gift. And that begins to change your perspective in terms of, you know, I'm not a self-made man. I am, I'm, I'm endowed with certain blessings and gifts and wiring. That, that, that God says, yeah, it's, it's an attitude. And we, we said that because of he, the fact that he owns it all, we went into this realm of tithing, just saying that, you know what, tithing takes on a whole different aspect when you realize you don't own it. Right. You know, it's, it's a giving back to him of what he already has. It's a sacrifice. It's saying, okay, God, this belongs to you, so I'm going to give it back to you and sacrifice it. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. That's kind of where we ended last week. So now we're getting into new turf. Meekness is also power over selfishness. Which, as you can see, starts pretty early. I don't know about your kids, man. Ours came out without us having to teach them how to be selfish. Did you experience that in your... You know, it's kind of that way. that the Selfishness is sort of endemic to the human nature. And so, and it manifests itself as we grow older in a lot of different ways. We can be selfish... Because, um, well, we can be selfish in marriage relationships. Just get married and find out how selfish you are. Uh, just have kids and find out how selfish you are, right? And, and it's true. We can have selfishness loom its head out there when, when we don't have very much. You know, we're, 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 we're not in a good position financially. or not doing well health-wise. And we can be, you know... How come I, I deserve better than this? You know, I, you know I, I should have more favor. I should have more grace in my life, God. And we, we can be selfish when we've got it all, you know. We can get all puffed up with ourselves when we got all the money and we got all the fame and we got the job and we got all that stuff. And then we start to lord it over people. 
you know, we, you need to wait on me. You need to serve me because I'm pretty awesome. You know, that, that, that's how selfishness can manifest itself in, in different seasons of our life. And especially when we think we're getting a bad deal from God, selfishness will rear its head big time, you know. Yeah, I may be going to heaven, God, but this sure sucks, you know. I hate the circumstance I'm in here. And, and God just kind of pops you on the head and he says, you know what, you're kind of asking the whole wrong question here. It's not, not you know, how come I'm not giving you more? It's how come you aren't getting what you deserve? You know, what do we deserve? We don't deserve anything. But the fact is, his favor is putting us into the kingdom. His favor is giving us a destiny. His favor is giving us a legal position that we do not deserve, period, right? Meekness is also rooted in who you are preoccupied with. I thought this was really good. Meekness has its eyes set on Jesus. And once we get our eyes there, it changes everything. That's when we get the, the servant spirit. That's when we, we understand that it doesn't belong to us. We get this generosity that begins to flow out of us. I, I wanted to find a great example of somebody who was meek. And I wanted to use myself, but I wasn't going to do that. So, um, actually, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know R.G. Letourneau. A couple, couple of people know who he is. This, this, you guys are familiar with Letourneau University down in, in uh, Texas, right? This is the guy who founded it. R.G.'s got an interesting story because he started very humble beginnings. He, he didn't even finish school. He, he quit school at age 14, and he began to experience some of these qualities of meekness right out of the gate. He discovered quickly that he was not going to be a self-made man because he encountered a lot of failure. He, he did a lot of menial jobs that he learned basic skills in, in welding and in construction. And he, was, he, he prided himself on having an automotive degree because he got one of the first motorcycles. He was born in 1888. Okay, so the, the combustion engine was kind of a new deal coming along. And he got his degree in automotive mechanics because he assembled and reassembled, uh, disassembled and reassembled a motorcycle back in the day. That qualified him to be an auto mechanic. But anyway, that was kind of his experience. And he went through a lot of these things where he learned that he needed people. And then when he became successful in his business, he learned that he needed to have his power over selfishness. He found out that to be successful, you have to give value to people. You know, you want to treat your employees well, and as you empower them and you say, man, you're awesome, and you give them that elevated position, and you say, I trust you, he found his employees responded. And so he found out that selfishness, as he emptied himself and he took the position of a servant, elevated his employees, his business began to accelerate. And the awesome part of this story is that he was preoccupied with Jesus. God blessed this man with great wisdom. I think like Solomon, he blessed him with wisdom and knowledge because a lot of the things that are written about R.G. said that he was light years ahead of where the technology was in the day. He is a mover of men and mountains because he began developing all this earth-moving equipment. He was responsible for the highway that went from Boulder City out to uh, the dam, Hoover Dam. He created a lot of the large earth-moving machines and stuff that were used in that process. And so he became very influential in this area. I mean, today's bulldozers, uh, the telescoping cranes that you see uh, in the mining industry, all these massive 
pieces of equipment that are used are largely a result of RG's influence. In fact, one of his largest uh, items was the uh, L2350. That particular item actually won a Guinness Book of World's Record uh, for the largest earth-moving machine on the planet. Uh, it has a 40, no, an 80-ton payload in that bucket there on the front, 80 tons. Five loads of that truck will load one of those 400-ton capacity mining uh, loaders, I mean, a payload, dump trucks, whatever it is. Five loads from that thing fills 400 tons. It's crazy, unbelievable. But like Solomon, he also was given great wealth. He founded Laterno University. He built a hospital. He built several communities from scratch in South America and Africa. And he learned quickly the principle that God owned it all. He, he learned this principle of tithing. He started out with 10% in the day, and he found that God blessed that. And so he kicked it up to 20%, and God gave him even more. He kicked it up to 30%. God gave him more. He got to the point where he was known for a guy who lived on 10% and gave 90% away. And even in that situation, God just blessed his socks off to, to be able to do the things that he did. So I love the picture of Letourneau because he is a picture of meekness. He's a picture of what it means to, to follow this truth in the Beatitude. His tombstone says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Mover of men and mountains. I don't know what you want on your tombstone, but I'm thinking that's pretty awesome. All right. How are we doing? All right, we got, let's move on to this next uh, beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, this reflects back to that original beatitude, the poverty of spirit. <clears throat> because the poverty of spirit creates this urgency in us, right? We, we mourn, we want the more of Jesus, and it causes us to want the hunger and thirst for that righteousness, and you see this all over scripture. You can, I mean, David was classic. Here's, here's the classic verse that came to my mind as I thought about this. As the deer pants for water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. And I, I love that picture of a deer who's just diving in, man. You know, it's like I want, what, I want all that I can get out of this thing. And it's just a, a beautiful picture of what this really means, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, do you guys feel that? Do you feel that hunger and thirst? I don't always feel it. I really don't. I don't always feel it. I want that to be true in my life. But I love this, that it's a lifetime pursuit. You guys, it's a lifetime pursuit. And Paul, I think, knew that urgency. He knew that hunger all the way up to the end of his life. Let's read this passage in Philippians. You guys know this. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, right? And he's writing this at the end of his life. Okay, here's, here's this guy, you know, he's in prison. He's going to die soon. And he's saying, I haven't attained it all yet. And, and we're like, seriously? You haven't, Paul? You haven't attained it all? Nope, there's more that I want. And, and it's easy to say, well, dude, come on. You've written like 13 books in the New Testament. I mean, if we throw in Hebrews, it's 14. You're like a star in the book of Acts. And you're telling us that you haven't attained it all yet, right? He says, I haven't attained it. There's more. 
He's pressing in. And so why is he pressing in? Let's look at this next passage, the next part of the verse. He's pressing in so that he can possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. That's awesome, man. He sees his legal position, the perfection of who God is. He's he's responding to God saying, I want you to be perfect the way that I'm perfect. And he's saying, I'm pressing in because I want to possess that perfection. How about us? You want to possess that? Yeah, absolutely. And you guys, hunger and thirst, honestly, are the most important signs of life, are they not? I mean, if you've got a person who's in the hospital, a patient who has no hunger and has no thirst, not good, right? And I, I, I've watched this with my, my own parents. I watched my dad who had uh, prostate cancer. And, and I, you know, I watched his decline, and I saw that point where he just, he didn't want to eat, he didn't want to drink anything. And it was a sign that, you know, that's, that's a sign. You know, no hunger, no life, no thirst, no life. And Paul got that, man. He understood what it was to have a vibrant heart. What it was to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. To be poor in spirit, to mourn, and to be meek. Philippians 4, 8. I think capsulizes this whole thing. He says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You guys, that is, that's what we're aiming for, right? All the things that we do and as we welcome uh, Adam's family into our midst here, God, and we're asking for leadership and equipping And as we grow in this process and we activate gifts and we, we run in this idea of what is the five-fold ministry. It's, it's like it's the importance of the gifts functioning, that we all attain to this, to that maturity in Christ. That's our heart. That's our goal. That is the eight Beatitudes lifestyle. And that's why we're camping out here, because we need to get this. We need to understand what it is we're trying to shoot for. It's a target that we are aiming for. And so I just want to close with some prayer. And uh, actually, if the prayer team is available, have you guys come up front. But I just, I want to just pray for us. And maybe some of this is striking a chord with you. You're seeing some of the spiritual lack in your life. Maybe you're in that mourning process or, or maybe you're in that hungering and thirsting for righteousness and it's been kind of a desert. I would just encourage you, man, let's, let's encourage and build one another up. Let's stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know what? And, and so it's no shame to have people pray for you whatsoever. So I just want to close with some prayer as we, as we wrap this time up this morning. But God has just been doing some amazing things here in our midst. Jesus, as we even hear from Rana and Emil over in Syria, God, they're, they're paying the ultimate price for their faith. They're in a war-torn culture, surrounded by enemies. God, we got a little bit easier here. But the truth of the matter is, Father, as we step out in faith and we ask for the nations and we ask for our city, we're going to experience opposition. God, that persecution we read about is coming, and we need to be prepared. But in the meantime, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see our poverty of spirit, 
God, that we would see it and that it would move our hearts to mourn and say that, God, we want the more. We want a hunger. We want a thirst after your righteousness. That, Father, we would maintain a meekness in our spirit and understanding that we would be nothing apart from you. You said it. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And that is, our, that is our reality, Jesus. We are so dependent on you. You own it all. It's all yours. We, we just want to confess that publicly to you. So thank you, Father, for this time that we can hunger and thirst for your righteousness. God, it's a good thing. Feast, feast of tabernacles, right? It's going to be a feast. It's not a fast right now. We want to feast on that. We want to drink deep like that deer diving into that water. Jesus, let us immerse ourselves. You're calling us to perfection, not mediocrity, not lukewarmness, but perfection. So Jesus, thank you for this time to be reminded of what's true. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way among us. You would have your way. We love you and we just praise your holy name. In Jesus' name.